Good morning, my name is Melinda Carlson, and our first reading is from the book of Ezekiel. The hand of the Lord was upon me, and he brought me out in the spirit of the Lord and set me down in the middle of the valley. It was full of bones. And he led me around among them, and behold, there were very many on the surface of the valley. And behold, they were very dry. And he said to me, Son of man, can these bones live? And I answered, O Lord God, you know. Then he said to me, Prophesy over these bones, and say to them, O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God to these bones, Behold, I will cause breath to enter you, and you shall live. And I will lay sinews upon you, and will cause flesh to come upon you, and cover you with skin, and put breath in you, and you shall live. And you shall know that I am the Lord. So I prophesied as I was commanded, and as I prophesied, there was a sound, and behold, a rattling, and the bones came together, bone to its bone. And I looked, and behold, there were sinews on them, and flesh had come upon them, and skin had covered them, but there was no breath in them. Then he said to me, prophesy to the breath, prophesy, son of man, and say to the breath, thus says the Lord God, come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe on these slain, that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me, and the breath came into them, and they lived and stood on their feet, an exceedingly great army. Then he said to me, Son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. Behold, they say our bones are dried up, and our hope is lost, and we are indeed cut off. Therefore prophesy and say to them, thus says the Lord God, Behold, I will open your graves and raise you from your graves, O my people, and I will bring you into the land of Israel, and you shall know that I am the Lord when I open your graves and raise you from your graves, O my people, and I will put my spirit within you, and you shall live, and I will place you in your own land. Then you shall know that I am the Lord. I have spoken. And I will do it, declares the Lord. The word of the Lord. Thank you, Dean. Well, good morning. What a joy it is to be here. As Dean said, I'm married to Catherine. We have three children who are Anna, Caroline, and Nathan. They're all in their kind of mid to late 20s. And um, we do come from Charleston, South Carolina. It's a place people move to, not from. So they all thought we were crazy when we said, we're going to the north. And they said, what? What are you, what are you nuts? And just like, well, no, we are just people who try to say yes to Jesus wherever he uh, inspires and leads. So um, I've had this great joy of, of going across the country with each of my children in a car. Uh, we had two of our uh, children go to college in California near Los Angeles, and so I, I've had the privilege of making that 3,000-mile drive in both directions with all of them, sometimes together and also individually. And, and what, a, what a gift 
not always easy, but what a gift. Um, if you go on the, the most southerly route, and from Charleston, that's kind of easier to do. If you go on that most southerly route, you go through a lot of desert. I remember taking a trip with my son, and we were on that southerly route. We were going through the desert. It was actually May, so we were coming from California to South Carolina. And along the way, we always would stop at kind of kitschy places and sort of folksy places, but we were really keen on going to, to the national parks, and we went to as many of them as we could on those various journeys. On one of those trips, my son and I, in May, going through the desert, it was hot. It was only May, but it was incredibly hot. It was arid. It was dry. And it, it was the kind of place with, if you were outside too long, you literally could feel yourself drying, which is very odd for us from the South who would go outside and you feel yourself getting wetter. <laughs> well, we drove through dust storms. We drove through mini sand tornadoes. Uh, some of those dust storms got so big that they were what you call a brownout. Maybe if you've been in the snow and you've been through a whiteout, well, a brownout is that, but with dirt. That's not a pleasant experience. One of the national parks that we stopped at along the way was in the California desert called Joshua Tree. And yes, we did blast U2's album of the same name while we were in the desert. We stopped at the ranger station before we went into the park and we kind of oriented ourselves. The one essential piece of advice that the ranger gave us, in fact, it was more than advice, it, it really was command, it was an order, it was a non-negotiable. He said, not beware of the coyotes, which we did see. He, he didn't warn us of being most careful about the rattlesnakes, which we didn't see, but we did hear in the rocks as we were hiking, the command that we were given was stay hydrated, keep filled up. And that is what I believe the Lord, through the scriptures, would have us here today. Stay hydrated and keep filled up. Now, in the Gospel of John uh, this morning, which I think I sent you guys the wrong verses because those verses were off by two. So this is a good example of grace. Um, like you don't have to perform adequately to even get called to these sorts of things. Uh, <laughs> in our gospel lesson, I'm gonna reread it because I think I gave you 35 through 37 and really I wanna read from 37 through 39. On the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has says, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now this he said about the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive, but as yet the Spirit had not been given because Jesus was not yet glorified. Jesus was not yet glorified. And so Jesus stands up and he says, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Now let's think about the context of the statement for a moment. We know that this occurred during the Feast of Tabernacles. In fact, it's on the last and great day of the feast, we're told. Now, this feast, uh, this last and great day of the feast, 
has as its culmination a liturgical action that brings all of the people of God together, and there's a great ceremony that occurs. Now, what's happened in the Feast of Tabernacles is it's one of the main feasts. The people of God comes. It's a harvest festival. They would stay in booths or tabernacles at Jerusalem. It was a huge party. It was an an eight-day church service, but it was way more fun. Just saying. And as the people were there, they were reminded of God's provision for them in the wilderness, in the desert, when the Lord over 40 years provided for them. Their clothes didn't wear out, their shoes didn't wear out, and they remembered most especially as God had delivered them from their slavery in Egypt that God through Moses provided water from a rock. And so in this festival, they were looking back at the activity of God in their salvation history the way he had moved in the past, and they were also looking forward to the promise that the prophets were speaking or had spoken about what God would do in the future, particularly the prophets Ezekiel and Zechariah and Joel. Remember that the prophet Ezekiel, and we did hear a verse about the dry bones that would live elsewhere. The prophet Ezekiel had said in chapter 47, that there would be a time in which from the altar of God in the temple, from the place of atonement where the blood of the lamb was offered, out of that place from the temple would flow a river that would start very shallow, ankle deep, and then as it proceeded, it would get deeper and deeper, knees and then shoulders, and then it would be so broad and wide you couldn't swim in it, and along the shores of this river, there would be trees, there would be fruitfulness, there would be provision, even the most dead place on the earth could be made alive, and there would be this incredible bounty and healing. And so, they looked back at what God had done, they were looking forward at what the prophet said God would do, it's in the middle of that, as the priest took water with a golden pitcher that they, that they brought before the the temple, and began to pour out. It's at that point that Jesus stood up in the middle of everything that's going on, and he said, if anyone is thirsty, come to me and drink. Think it was disruptive? It was very disruptive. Jesus didn't mind being disruptive, though, for the right reasons. Jesus said, if you're thirsty, then come to me and drink. He wasn't talking about physical thirst. We know that. He's speaking metaphorically and spiritually at this point. He's saying, if you recognize that you're dead, then come to me. If you recognize that you're empty, spiritually dehydrated, then come to me. If you are longing for God, Jesus says, then come to me. If you're like the dry bones that we heard from that reading in Ezekiel, with no hope, with no chance of life, Jesus says, then come to me, and I will give you the life you need. It's not to some kind of vague spirituality that he invites us. It's not to some sort of abstraction. It's not to your own religious efforts. It's not even to religious activities as helpful and beneficial as those might be in our spiritual lives. No, Jesus says, come to me, come to him Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has says, then out of their innermost being, from their hearts will flow rivers of living waters. And then you get this editorial note from John. He says, now, this he was speaking about the spirit who was 
yet to be given because at this point, Jesus had not yet been glorified. Now, what does it mean that he had not yet been glorified? Well, the word glory has to do with magnification. Think about what a magnifying glass does. A magnifying glass makes something more clear, something larger. Where is Jesus's glorification? It begins in the cross. He said, if I am lifted up, I will draw all people to myself. And so the glory of Jesus begins on the cross. We hear it in those words that he speaks to the Father on behalf of the world. Father, into your hands I commend my spirit. Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. It is finished. There is no more to be done. And so the glorification of Jesus begins through his cross in his death, but it continues forward as God raised him from the dead on that third day. The text of scripture tells us that it is for the justification of our lives. It means that what he has done is enough. You can no longer add anything to it or take anything away from it. If you would be right in the sight of God, then through the cross and by the resurrection you come. He is raised for your justification to make you right. And, and you live in a culture, and we live in a culture in which we know what it's like to live under the pressure of always having to measure up, of never being quite enough, of always having to achieve just a little bit more in order to be acceptable before your peers, in your place of employment, among your neighbors. And you know how incredibly exhausting that is how much dis-ease that puts inside of you because you're never quite going to be enough. And yet he says, if you trust in his son Jesus, you're enough. And that war that rages inside and that rages in the culture and the world all around us, you don't have to participate in that anymore. And that ought to be really good news to somebody this morning because you're dying under it. And so his glorification begins in the cross and it continues to the resurrection. And then over those 40 days as he appeared at least 10 times and to as many as 500 people at once. And then as many in the church celebrated last Sunday as he ascended into heaven where he now sits at the right hand of the throne of God. He is now King of kings and Lord of lords. And through that ascension and through that sitting down, the promise of the Father the promise that Jesus made can come. And what is the promise? The gift of the Holy Spirit. Jesus said, I'm not gonna leave you as orphans. Think about what an orphan is. An orphan is a parentless child. An orphan has no provision. An orphan cannot take care of themselves. He says, I'm not going to leave you as orphans. I'm going to send another advocate to you. I'm gonna send one who is just like me, who will be with you and will live in you. The glory of Jesus is that because he has offered his blood as a sacrifice for sin, as the Lamb of God who has offered himself for the sin of the world, for your sin and mine, now the Holy Spirit can come and take up residence within us when we place our trust in him. And why is that? Because we've been declared right in God's sight. The barrier has been torn down. The Spirit can move into the neighborhood of your life and your heart. Is that good news for anyone? This guy over here. <laughs> and so the outpouring of the Spirit began on the day of Pentecost. That's what we celebrate today. The beginnings of the gift of God's Spirit in the world. 
Now go back to the picture from Ezekiel, that vision that I told you about. From the place of atonement in the temple, out pours a river that starts like a trickle and then expands and grows ever more deep and wide. That's what's been going on for 2,000 years from the day of Pentecost until now. As Jesus is glorified, the Father and the Son pour out the Spirit because it comes from the place of the atonement. The Lamb of God has given his life. He's gone into heaven, presented to God in heaven his own blood as the sacrifice, and now the Spirit can come. And it started with just a few in the upper room, and it blew like a mighty wind in their lives and in Jerusalem, and from there it began to move out. There's always a centrifugal force to the presence of the Spirit. It's never intended to be kept like a puddle. It's intended to be, as Jesus said, a river that flows outward to the very ends of the earth. And I would just begin by asking, has the Holy Spirit come into your life? Well, how would I know? I'm glad you asked. If you have placed your faith in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, then yes, the Holy Spirit is in your life. And we need to hear what the Apostle Paul would tell us. We need to keep being filled with the Spirit because, I don't know, we tend to leak, because we end up in arid places, because we need the presence of God increasingly within us, teaching us more of who he is and leading us to the places that he would have us to go. And so we listen to those words that the Apostle Paul said there in our reading from Ephesians chapter 5. He says, don't get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery, and some text it says to dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. I love the way that Eugene Peterson puts it in the message. He says, don't drink too much wine. That cheapens your life. Drink the Spirit of God, huge draughts of him. Do you hear the bounty that he's getting at there? Do you hear what he's trying to point us to, that there's always more for our needs when it comes to the Lord God Almighty. And Paul is making this comparison and contrasting drinking wine with being filled with the Spirit. But think about when a person is drunk. They're under the influence and the control of the alcohol, and it leads to behaviors that can cheapen one's life. And you've seen this in the lives of others. You may have seen it in your own life. You say things that are foolish and damaging and harmful to others. You have deep regrets because of what you did and you behave in ways that cheapen your life. I gotta tell you, the only times I ever got arrested as a young man had alcohol involved. Some of you might have that kind of story. You say, oh my gosh, the bishop? Yeah, the bishop. <laughs> When you're full of the Spirit, though, you're under the control and the influence of God. And that also affects the way you speak, and that also affects the way you live, and that affects the behaviors that you exhibit in the world around you. You see, when you're full of the Spirit, you have those fruits beginning to grow in your life. And I would say one of the key fruits of the Spirit connected to the filling of the Spirit is joy. There's a reason Paul picked the analogy of wine in the spirit, because most people are kind of happy drunks until they're not. And so he's saying that when the spirit comes, 
Y'all, sometimes your face knows about it. And hopefully other people see it too. And so we're under the control and the influence of God. Paul then lists several ways and things that being filled with the Spirit is, it it either leads to the filling of the Spirit or it is what results from the filling of the Spirit in your life. And this this is not a complete list. You gotta go to other parts of the New Testament for that. But in verses 15 and 16, he says, look carefully how you walk. Like, pay attention to the way you live. You see, when you're full of the Spirit, when the Spirit has control over your life, you pay attention to the way you live, not because you're uptight, but because you want to honor the God who is absolutely, wildly, crazily in love with you. And you desire to honor this Father who is so good and merciful. He says, look carefully how you live, how you walk, not as unwise but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. And so when you're full of the Spirit, you'll have a wisdom to know how to live in this ungodly world. Anybody notice the world around us is so incredibly ungodly? It's the reason why we have to take the time to know the scriptures and hide them in our hearts because the time that you need the leading of the spirit, the time that you need the scripture the most is not in church on Sunday, but in the midst of real life when things are hard, when the arrows are flying, when the challenges are coming, when you're in a compromising situation in your work environment and you're trying to discern, is this from the Lord or not? If you're a young person, you're in a compromising situation with your peers and you've got to discern, what would God have me to do in this situation? And so we've got to hide the word in our hearts so that in those moments when we need it the most, the Spirit can take the word we've hidden and bring it to our minds so that we can live godly and wise in an ungodly age. So what does that look like? Well, for instance, a scripture that I hid in my heart very early on as a a young believer, I'd come out of a lot of sin, a lot of destructiveness in my life, God in his kindness led me to Romans chapter eight, verse one. There's therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus for the law of the spirit of life has set me free from the law of sin and death. And one of the things that happens when you're a new believer, a young believer, is you make a lot of mistakes. You trip yourself up quite often. You go back to some of the things that you hate and you do those things you don't wanna do, even though inside of you there's this battle raging, but you go back to the sin that had once so easily entangled you. And I can remember falling prey to those old sins and just being so down on myself because I really wanted in my mind to live according to the law of God and to honor the Lord And it was most important in those moments that that scripture was brought to light, the truth of God, the word of God, by the spirit of God to me. Chris, there's no condemnation for you. It's not even a category anymore. Come out from under that horrible despair and come back to the God who loves you. I am with you and I am in you. I will not forsake you. I can't tell you how many times that scripture has come to me. One of the texts that I hid away comes out of Exodus chapter three. It's just very simple. I am with you. I've probably heard the spirit of God whisper that to my heart more than anything else over the course of the last 30 something years that I've walked with him. And why is that so important? Because I've been in lots of situations where I was pretty convinced he wasn't with me. And I needed to know that more than anything else. 
Because what you recognize is if God is with you, you and God make a majority in any situation. And that's really good news. Make the best use of time. Friends, don't waste your life running after the things that the world's running after. Verse 17, when you're full of the Spirit, you understand God's will. You grow to know his voice. You grow to understand his ways. Verse 19, you address one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. Spirit-filled people grow in their ability to worship, their willingness to exalt and love God. And some people do it very quietly and others do it very exuberantly, but you do it nonetheless. And I think it's intentional the way it plays out in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs you think about it, Psalms is through the scriptures, and so we, we learn to worship God with the scripture. And with these hymns, which tend to be more theological, we revere God and we exalt the, the grandeur of God, the sovereignty of God. We recognize the largeness of the God who created everything from quasars to microbes. And we make spiritual songs we have the capacity within us to have extemporaneous praise that we share with the people around us, praising God and letting others know how good he is. You don't have to be weird about it, by the way. You might be, that, but that, that might just be you. <laughs> Giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Notice it doesn't say that we have to give thanks for everything but we do give thanks always. And I think gratitude is a hallmark of being spirit-filled. And it's also a great way to get back to a place where the spirit fills you. And, and I think this is probably particularly important for somebody today. Um, there have been seasons in our life that we have walked with God, that we've walked through deep sorrow. That, that will happen. There will be suffering in this life because this, this world has fallen. And it will be restored, but we're not quite there yet. And, and there have been these deep seasons of sorrow and suffering in our lives, in the lives of our children. And, and that's particularly hard for a parent to see a child suffer. In those places, it's very easy to get dried up, very easy to forget the joy of the Lord. Some years ago, Catherine, who is so incredibly wise, I'm so thankful for you, she came across a book by Ann Voskamp, 10,000 Gifts, I think, if I remember the name right. And she purposed, I'm going to write a thousand things that I'm thankful for. And she started this journal. And I, because we do our devotions together, I joined with her. She's filled up journal after journal after journal. It's become a way of life for us, recognizing that gratitude is such a, a, a part of being full of the Spirit, and it leads to being full of the Spirit. And I just want to say, if you are struggling today, if you're under it, because you've been dealing with an addiction, because you've been dealing with sickness, because you've been dealing with heartache and sorrow, then gratitude is a place to start. And that may sound like a crazy sentence, but I do want to encourage you how important that will be to being full again, that sense of the fullness of God's presence in your life. In all things, give thanks. Verse 21, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Like, when you're full of the Spirit, you can yield to other people. And why? Because when you're 
yielded to God, then it allows you to yield to others. You recognize that the Trinity yields to one another, right? And if in the Godhead, so also in us created in God's image. That means that you've got to let go of some of that control. I don't know about you, but I tend to want to have control. And yielding to others often means letting go of control. And it looks like things. Like you begin to realize you don't have to have the last word in every conversation. You don't always have to be the winner and come out on top. You can yield to your husband. You can yield to your wife. You can yield to your parents. You can yield to your boss. You can yield to your pastors. You might even yield to your bishop. I can yield to my archbishop. Why? Because we're full of the Spirit. Because that's who God is. He's a yielding God. And we do it because we revere Christ. Because I want to honor you. And what is Jesus like? He's the one who emptied himself. He leaves heaven. He enters in. He goes to death on a cross. This is our Savior. And if the Spirit of God is in our lives and we start to look like him as the Spirit is at work within us. And that means there's emerging humility. And I call it emerging because some of us, that takes a lot of time. But if you revere him, there's a willingness to yield. Let me just end with this. It's not a suggestion he gives us, this being filled with the Spirit. It's not a tip for, you know, a better life. No, 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 a command. It's an ongoing, present, progressive recognition of what you need the most. Be filled with the Spirit and keep on being filled. Keep coming to the Lord. We come to the Scriptures. We come to worship. We come to the sacraments. Today, we're going to have some students and some adults come and confirm their faith, and I'm going to lay hands on them, and I'm going to pray for the Holy Spirit to pour out upon their lives and to empower them for his service in this world. Keep being filled. Keep being filled. The good news is that the Holy Spirit is supremely willing to fill you. But again, it means that we've got to be willing to let go of control. And I I just feel like that's the word for today. And I want to invite you, in the midst of this service, as we're moving to the time in which these folks will confirm their faith, as we're moving to the time in which we come to the table of the Lord, we receive this sacrament, where are the places in your life, so no abstractions now, in your everyday life, whether in your home or in your, in your studies or in your marriage or in your business, where you're recognizing, oh, I've been in control here. And Jesus, I really need to yield this to you. This problem that's too big, this situation I can't tackle. Well, why not yield it to him today? And it may take you a while and invite him to fill you and to fill the situation so that you might be his person in the world through whom he can flow to other people. That's what I will end with. You see, you're not filled to be a reservoir. The filling is for you. Make no mistake, that is the glory and the goodness. We get to to taste, we get to be part of it. But we're not meant to be reservoirs, we're meant to have streams of living water flow out of us to the people in the world around us 
who desperately need good news to know the Savior is alive and he loves them and he's done everything to make them his own. Will you be those people? Christ Church Vienna, be that kind of a church. You may be here today because somebody was that person to you. I wonder who is God asking you to be that person to now? Let's pray. Oh Lord, thank you for these people who are hungry for you and thirsty for your presence. And yet, Lord, today some of us are thirsty and dry. And so we pray, come Holy Spirit, come. Jesus, for those of us who are only getting to know you, save us through and through. For those of us who come here today needing you to fill and restore and replenish, Lord, come and do that work. We lay before you those things that you know we need to yield that control over. And Lord, in the midst of all of that, would you let us see how beautiful you are, how good and kind our Savior is. Jesus, it's in your name, and it's for your sake that we pray these things. Amen. Is your